I want a heart that forgives, a heart full of love, one with compassion just like yours above, one that overcomes evil with goodness and love, like it never happened, never holding a grudge. I want a heart that forgives and lives and lets live, one that Keeps loving over and over again. One that men can't offend because your word is within. One that overcomes pride like your Lord Jesus Christ. One a heart that loves everybody, even my enemies. I want to love like you, be like you. Just like you did. I want a heart that forgives. I want a heart that forgives when the ones that are closest that I've known the longest hurt me the most. I still want to love them just like you love me, even though I'm hurting. I want a heart that forgives when the pain is so deep. It's so hard to speak about it to anyone. Just like your son, I give up my right to hold it against them. Inside, on a heart that loves everybody, even my enemies. I want to love like you, be like you, just like you did. I want to walk like you, talk like you, just like you did. I want to live like you, be like you, just like you did. Cause a heart that forgives is a heart that will live Totally free from the pain of the past And a heart that lets go is a heart that will know so much freedom Lord, I want to let it go God, I need to let it go. It's been holding me back. And I don't want it no more. I need to get rid of it sooner or later. I need to dispose of it sooner or later. I need to get rid of it sooner or later. I need to dispose of it sooner or later So you can have it 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Amen. Appreciate that, didn't you? Amen. Always wish I could play the piano. I played football. Wasn't interested in playing piano. Now I wish I could play the piano because I can't play football anymore. Amen. I mean, I try to play football. I always get hurt. I get hurt just running anymore. Amen. Luke chapter 16, if you'll turn, please. Today's a, foot, a Super Bowl, isn't it? I quit watching the Super Bowl years ago. I got a lot of back feed here, brother. Uh, quit watching it years ago when they started making it where it interfered with church on Sunday night. Amen? Amen. Shouldn't put anything above the Lord. Amen? His word says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Every time the doors are open, you ought to be in the house of God. Amen? It ought to be number one in your life. Amen? What God wants should be first. Amen. Luke chapter 16. It's good to be here. Appreciate you being here. There's nothing better than being a Christian. Amen? And you may think there is, but there's not. Sometimes go home and read Psalm 84, tremendous passage of Scripture. I want to preach on that this morning. David went into the tabernacle, uh, the tent out in the wilderness. He went into the tabernacle and he went to the altar. And while he was there that day worshiping, he noticed something. He noticed some sparrows and some swallows. And they had built their nests in the altar. And he went home, got to thinking about it, and he wrote a psalm about how they decided to build their house in the house of God. They got to live in the propitiation of God. They could enter into the Holy of Holies. You and I couldn't, but those sparrows could. They could sneak under the curtain. They could fly in there, and God didn't kill them for that. They got to live in the presence of God. They got to live where the power of God was, the Shekinah glory. They got to live where the protection of God was. You think God was going to let something happen to that tabernacle? And they got to live in the provision of God. You know, when they brought in their grain offerings, their wave offerings, that grain fell everywhere, and those birds just went down and ate it. And they picked the best place in the world to build their nest, David said, and that's what I've decided to do. I'm going to put my life in the best place in the world, and the best place in the world is in Jesus Christ. Amen? And in his worship. You know, they're going to have a bunch of phoniness today. Peyton Manning said last week that he was getting ready to go drink a Bud Light. I hope you don't make Peyton Manning your hero. Amen. God's people aren't supposed to drink Bud Light. Or Bud anyway. It's not Bud Wiser, it's Bud Dumber. Amen. Amen. Never seen it made anybody wiser. It's seen made a lot of people dumber. Amen. Yes, sir, I was sitting in band one day. I did play the tuba, sitting in band one day, and Barry Brown walked in. He had scratches and cuts all over his body and his bandages. And I said, Barry, what happened to you? He said, I was at a party out at the river, and I climbed a tree drunk and fell out. Uh, one of my best friends never had been drunk in his life, went to a party out on the, on the river, got drunk, tried to jump over the bonfire, jumped in the bonfire. You know, what the devil has to offer you may look good on the outside, but when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Amen. And don't you ever forget that. Amen. What the world has to offer you is fleeting. Amen. Luke chapter 16. I'm honored to be here. Thank you, Brother Casey, for having me. Let's stand, if you would, please, for the reading of God's Word. If you're physically able, if you're not, I understand. Luke chapter 16, a very familiar passage of Scripture. We'll begin reading in verse number 19. Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a, rich, a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. 
And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried and in hell. He lift up his eyes being in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we love you. We thank you that you loved us. We thank you loved us so much that you gave your son to die on the cross for our sins. But Lord, if that's all you did, we would still be in ignorance and darkness. But God, you gave us a Bible. You placed the word of God in our hands so that we could know the truth. And Lord, we were not walking with Jesus so we could not hear the teachings of Jesus. And you recorded those for us in the Bible so that we would have them. You're a great God, as Abraham Lincoln said, of all the gifts that God has given a man, the Bible is perhaps the greatest, for without it we could not know right for wrong. I'm glad, dear God, that you didn't just leave us to our own devices, our own thoughts, and our own philosophies, but you gave us your revealed, inspired, inerrant, infallible, uh, immutable, uh, eternal word, and we're grateful. And Father, we're thankful that we as Christians have understood the message of salvation and received Christ as Savior. We do pray for those who have not received it, that they would receive it. We do pray, dear Heavenly Father, for this country and this world. Lord, the majority of people in this country are without Christ and on their way to hell. And they're very, very wealthy, just like this rich man. They have need of nothing. They feel pretty self-satisfied. And yet they will die someday. And the tragedy of that death is going to be so, so terrible. And yet we're unstirred. We seem to not care. Or would you help us? Would you help me? Father, please, I want to be for you and for these people what I need to be. I lose myself as best I know how to your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Brother Casey, we don't hear much preaching anymore on hell. Hell is something that has kind of disappeared from our churches. Uh, what we've decided is to have, uh, and I'm not against these things, okay, but we've decided to replace preaching on hell with Dave Ramsey's get out of debt seminars. We've decided to replace preaching on heaven and hell with, uh, uh, with uh, how, to, how to be successful, the Joel Olstein crowd and movement. Uh, we've, we've turned our churches, instead of places of saving places, we've turned them into social places. 
And nothing wrong with coming to worship God, and I believe we ought to do that, but we've got so wrapped up in worship that we forgot about what the real work of God is all about. Jesus didn't come down here so you and I could have a nice place to live. Amen. Though the nice place you have is a gift from God, for every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. Amen. He didn't come down here so that we could just live in a wonderful free country, though this country was given to us by God. And I preached that last time I was here. And thank God for that. But he came down here for a reason. He came down here because there is a place called hell. And because that each and every person who is born also has to die. And Jesus here talks about a beggar and a rich man. It is not a parable. When Jesus told parables, he never used the individual's name. And he identifies the beggar as Lazarus. Whether this is the Lazarus who's the brother of Martha and Mary, I do not know. I, I really couldn't tell you. I don't think it is, but it's a possibility. All things are a possibility in the Scripture. Amen. Meaning us not seeing everything we don't know. I do have some thoughts about this passage of Scripture. If you read the first part, it's about the unjust steward. Right in the middle you have a verse about fornication or adultery, and then you come into this passage of Scripture, and it seems kind of funny that you have the unjust steward, you have the verse of adultery, and then you have the verse on here as, as not being connected because the verse of adultery does not seem to fit there unless the two passages connect together. It is my opinion that the beggar is a rich, was a rich man and that Lazarus was an unjust steward. And if you read that story, you've probably never read it this way, but what happened was that this unjust steward wasn't doing business right, so he was getting ready to lose his, his, uh, his employment. So he embezzled money from his boss. He said, write me a check. Don't write my boss a check, you write me a check, and he embezzled money. And then what I believe happened was then that the rich man went bankrupt, and he became that beggar. And Lazarus was the rich man. I mean, Lazarus was a beggar, and the rich man was the one who embezzled money from him. And I believe that Lazarus went to his gate every day to remind him of what he had done. And so that when he ended up in hell, he had no, uh, no doubt as to why he ended up there because he had stolen that man's money. And that's what I believe. Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but that's what I believe. Because adultery is unfaithfulness to anyone. Here had been a man who was unfaithful to his employer. And by the way, if you're an employee, you ought to be faithful to your employer. Amen. That's free. I'd give you that too free. You shouldn't cheat on him. You shouldn't take time from him. If it's a 15-minute break, take a 15-minute break and go back to work. Amen. Don't steal tools from the job. Amen. Don't be taking anything that's not supposed to be given to you. Don't eat food if it's not, if it's not your job to eat food. Amen. What a terrible testimony many of us have had and send a lot of people to hell because we have a terrible testimony. Amen. But I just throw that out to you. But really the main reason that Jesus uh, told this, he wanted to express and impress upon them the truth of death, the truth of eternity, and the truth of either being in heaven or in hell for all eternity. You know what, folks? The point of the matter is, is that the most important event of your life is your death. The Bible says, better is a man's day of man's death than the day of his birth. That does not make sense to us. Why would the Bible say it's better to die than it is to be born? Because when you leave death, you actually go into what's really important. You go into eternity. 
this life is not as important as you and I make it. It's only important as it fits in the, in the idea of eternity. How much money you have is not really that important, but it only important is how it fits into the light of eternity. You see, if you die with a lot of money, but you didn't do much for the Lord, it doesn't amount to much. Many of us as Christians are going to die being very wealthy and leave behind a lot of stuff, but when we get to heaven, we're going to find out we don't have much there. Jesus wanted to impress upon us this matter of death and eternity. I want to say some things about death very quickly. People don't like to hear about death. Death is not a subject we like to talk about. But death is just as much a part as life, and death is something that you and I cannot have control over. Amen? You know, I got cancer in July of this year, or May of this year. I was diagnosed with cancer. I don't know how long I have to live. But you know what? Cancer was not the thing that was going to cause death in my life. Death is coming no matter what. I could die in a car wreck. I could die sleeping. I could get in a shower and fall and hit my head and die. I could walk out here and just drop dead of a, of a heart attack. You know, we're, everyone in here is less than one second away from eternity. The human heart beats at 70 beats per minute. Less than every second my heart is beating. And all that has to happen is for my heart to stop beating and I'm into eternity. You understand that death is an inevitable event for all mankind. Hebrews 9.27 says, as it is appointed unto man once to die. It's inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. You know, sitting here this morning, I don't know when your death is coming. I don't know the day of it, but it's going to happen to you. I have done the funerals of stillborn babies. I have done the funeral of a Sid infant baby. I have done the funeral of eight and nine-year-old boys and little girls. I have done the funeral of 15 and 16 and 18 and 19-year-old young men and young ladies. I have done the funeral of, of 25-year-olds and 30-year-olds. And I've done the funerals of 45-year-olds and 50-year-olds. And I've done the funeral of some, uh, you know, some, some, some folks in their 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And you understand that death is inevitable. Death is imminent for all mankind. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Your life is a vapor that's here today, gone tomorrow. Don't. It's imminent. It's imminent. Not one of us may, may pass away before this service is over. We don't know. I've never had this happen, Brother Casey. I hope I never do. <clears throat> but I've had preacher friends that preach have somebody stand up in their service and drop over dead of a heart attack. Uh, my good friend, uh, Brother Gordon Day, preached a sermon over at Brother Ragland's church in Marshall, Missouri. He preached the sermon as soon as he said amen. He dropped dead on the platform. What a way to go. Preach your last sermon. Die and go to be with the Lord in heaven. Amen. But he, he wasn't expecting to die. Now I tell you that most people don't expect the day of their death. Most people do not expect. Don't think that. Have the foggiest thought that it's going to happen to me today. But death is, a, is imminent. And death is inescapable. Ecclesiastes 8.8 8 says, There is no man that hath power over the spirit to retain the spirit. Neither hath he power in the day of death. There is no discharge in that war. Neither shall deliver, wickedness deliver those that are given it to. Some people say, I'm too ornery to die. The Bible says in the book of Psalm chapter 46 that there is none, uh, there's by, there's none that of them that can by any means redeem his brother nor give God a ransom for him. There's no way you can pay God enough money that you don't die. It is inescapable. It's going to happen. You know, I'm not, I'm not bothered by death like I used to be bothered by it. If you're truly a Christian, you're walking with the Lord, death shouldn't bother you. 
It may not be something that you pray for. I think you'd be a little morbid to pray for that. It's not something that you want to have take place right now in your life. But if you're a Christian, you should understand this is a part of life. This is why Jesus Christ, this is what I prepared for if you are prepared. Death is not a thing that we like to talk about, but a death is an event that happeneth to everyone in Ecclesiastes. The rich, the wise man dies, the fool dies, the rich man dies, the, the pauper dies, everybody dies. It doesn't matter your social economic level, doesn't matter your educational level, doesn't matter your profession, doesn't matter how much money you have, you're all going to die, everybody's going to die. Jesus came to prepare people to die. He spoke about death, he spoke about heaven, he spoke about hell. He made it very clear that this life is not the most important thing, that there's something that follows that's more important. We may not like to think about death. We may not like to talk about death, but as mortal beings, we'd better think about it. We'd better talk about it. We'd better be prepared for this subject of death. Can I say that earthly life is short and eternity is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and if you're a literal believer of the Scriptures, that rich man is still in hell, still begging for somebody to give him a drop of water to cool his tongue. And that for all eternity, he will never experience anything except a, a, a total of separation from God, a total pitch blackness whereby he cannot even see his face in front of him, a weeping and a wailing that's going on constantly in his ears, a gnashing of teeth and a burning of fire, and worms and maggots crawling all over his body that will never, ever stop crawling. I don't know if you've ever been asleep when some kind of a bug or something was crawling on you, but it is a terrible feeling. And that is the place called hell. And I want to say that God did not create hell for man. He created hell for the devil and his angels. And if man, Adam and Eve, had not sinned like the devil and rebelled and done their own thing, then you and I had not done our own thing, we would not go to hell. But hell is the punishment. It doesn't matter how bad a sinner you are or how little, uh, small of a sinner you are, you're all going to the same place. Amen? I, I'm a prison preacher. I was on the Rock of Ages Prison Ministry Board. I preached at Fulton Reception and Diagnostic Center for many, many years. And when I preached in there, there's a guy that, that, that was a murderer. And there was a guy there that was a, a thief. And there was a guy there that was a drug pusher. And there was a guy there that had possessed drugs. And there was a guy there that, uh, that uh, was a, a DWI, a drunkard. And there was a guy there that pay, didn't pay his child support. To be honest with you, I don't think it's right to put a guy that doesn't pay his child support in, in a prison. I think they ought to put on a work camp and made to work. Amen? But I'm not the one who makes the laws. And the ones who made the laws said this is a violation of the law and the penalty is prison. They'd all committed a crime. They didn't all commit the same one. And yes, the murder is worse probably than the, the, than the DWI, although I don't know, amen. But they're all guilty. And you may have done only one bad thing in your life. You may have told one little white lie. And it's not a white lie. It's a black lie. It's a wicked lie. It's an evil lie. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Did you know that every one of us in here is a sinner? Amen. I heard one time that, we, if, uh, that probably we sin an average of three sins a day. Well, that's a pretty good Christian because I sin more than that, Brother Casey. And if you sin three sins a day, that's a thousand sins a year. And if you're 20 years old, that's 20,000 sins you've committed. If you're 50 years old, that's 50,000 sins you've committed. Minimum. Boy, not me. I'm not a sinner, preacher. My goodness, dear friend, I'm a sinner, and I'm thankful for the grace of God that saves old sinners. Amen? Thank God for it. But death is inevitable. 
And, we, uh, and, and eternity forever. And that lays the groundwork for the title of my message this morning. I want to speak on this subject very quickly. Listen carefully. What will be important five seconds after death? What will be important five seconds after death? Seems to me that we ought to live with that thought in our mind. Seems to me that we are far too focused on this world down here. And we are living what will be important to me tomorrow. What will be important to me down here? What will make my life better down here? What will be good for me to have down here? Instead of thinking about what will be important five seconds after I die. Five seconds after I die, it won't matter how much money I have. Five seconds after I die, it won't matter what kind of car I drove. Five seconds after I die, it won't matter what kind of house I lived in. Five seconds after I die, it won't matter how many touchdowns I scored or how many interceptions I made or how many tackles I made or that that letter from Bethany College hanging on my wall, which I'm not against that. I don't think it's a sin to have any of those things or do anything. Five seconds after I die, it will not amount to a hill of beans how many of those earthly things I got to do. And it seems to me that we are, we are, as Brother Walsh used to say, we're sacrificing the future for the altar of the immediate. It seems to me that what Brother Barton used to say, we're not living our lives in light of eternity. You know what the truth of the matter is? is I don't know, but I could die tomorrow. If I die tomorrow, five seconds after I die, there are some things that I think are going to be very important to me, and I want to give them to you this morning. Number one. I want you to say that the first thing that will be important five seconds after you die is what you did with Christ. What you did with Christ. You listen to me. You're not saved because you say so. A profession is not a possession. Go to Matthew chapter 7 with me if you would very quickly. Matthew chapter 7. This verse of Scripture just, it really just, uh, it, it haunts me. It makes me take some time to look at my own life. You know, we've turned Jesus into a Burger King salvation. Just because you prayed a prayer does not mean you're saved. You need to study the scripture about salvation. Salvation takes a conviction. No conviction, no conversion. You don't try Jesus. Oh, Jesus will bless your life. Try him. No. You've come to Jesus to be saved. You've got to know what you're being saved from in order to be saved. Amen? We've got a Burger King Christ. We've got a lot of people who have never truly accepted Christ because I know i tell you something else. No repentance. No regeneration. Amen? What is a repentance? A repentance is a turning. It is a change of your, of your beliefs, and it should be a change of your lifestyle. I am sinning, and I know it's wrong, and I'm going to turn from that to accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I'm going to turn from that way to the way of God. And a person who has a profession that has no Christian life, no fruit behind it, probably is a person with a profession, not a possession. For if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Doesn't mean you're sinless, but it does mean that something changed in your heart and you can no longer do the things you did. And we got our churches packed full of people that have no problem with drinking, no problem with cussing, no problem with going around and doing the worldly things, Brother Casey. In fact, they think God accepts them. 
But our God is a holy God who gave us some standards and convictions and some expectations to live by. And if you're His child and you love Him, it's going to change your life. If you're the same you were before you made your profession, there may be a possibility that's all you have is a profession and not a possession. It doesn't say he that says he hath the son hath life. It says he that hath the son hath life. By the way, it says that we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. You can't know you're a Christian living wickedly. You got saved and nothing happened to your life, and I don't—I doubt your salvation. I'm not trying to cause doubt, but I'm just telling you, dear friend, when you die, there's going to be some very religious folks going to end up in hell. Look at them here in Matthew, chapter number seven, verse twenty-one, with me. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. He's not talking about work salvation. He's talking about a true salvation, though. Many will say to me Lord, in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Depart from me. But I preached your word. But I taught Sunday school. But I ran a bus route. But I went and knocked doors and went soul winning. But I sang in the choir. But I, but I went to church three times a week. Uh, Lord, I, I gave to the poor. I did all these things. He said, I never knew you. Can I tell you, it's not important whether you know Christ. It's important whether He knows you. My good friend Tom Williams says, yeah, it's important that God knows you. Not you know Him. You know what He said? I like this. If the President of the United States came today, how many of us would know? We'd know Him, wouldn't we? But how many of us would He know? My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give unto them eternal life. Paul said to the church at Corinth, Examine yourself. Whether you be in the faith, know you not your own self that Christ is in you, lest you be reprobate. The word reprobate means reject it. Paul said to the Christians at Corinth, whom he said, you're, you come behind in no gift. And they were pretty carnal. And he said, you're, you're believers, but I'm telling you what, some of you need to take an examination of yourself and make sure that you have Jesus Christ because just professing you have Him does not mean you do have Him. And if you're going to go to heaven, you have to have Jesus. You have to have Him. Boy, oh boy, there needs to be a genuine conversion. I was five years of age in the Haven Baptist Church, our pastor. I grew up in church all my life. I went to ch- church nine months before I was born. I went in my mama's womb three times a week. That was the way we did it at that Houston house. Thank God for that. And I heard the message uh, while I was in my mama's womb. Then I went through Sunday school. And at five years of age, I could tell you who Jesus was. At five years of age, I could tell you what a sin was. I could tell you what Jesus did, but I wasn't born again. Five years of age, the pastor had a Bible magician or whatever you want to call him come in and took a black handkerchief, put it in some red liquid, pulled it out and showed it was white. And it seemed to speak to my heart. But something else happened when I was five years old. My best friend, Steve Valdois, was killed. Steve and I were both five years old. Steve and I grew up together. Steve was my best buddy. He lived a half block from me. His parents moved to Phoenix, Arizona. I waved goodbye as he went down the street with tears running down my face. Bye, Steve. Didn't know I'd ever see him again or not. And I didn't see him again. 
But my mom got a telephone call, and I heard her say these words, Oh, Jenny, and began to start weeping. She came into the room. She said, Ted, I need to tell you something. Steve was just killed in an accident today. You know what? For the first time in my life, I got to thinking, if Steve could die at five, I could die at five. It never crossed my mind that five-year-olds die. Boy, oh boy, one long after that, that magician came when then he preached one night a sermon. I couldn't tell you what sermon he preached. You don't know what sermon he preached. But I know what happened for the first time in my life. An invitation. The preacher said, stand up, bow your heads, close your eyes. And as soon as he said that, the Holy Ghost stuck his finger in my heart said, you're a sinner. And you're going to go to hell for your sins if you don't accept Jesus as Savior. And boy, oh boy, he just kept saying that, and I just kept hanging on the pew. I'm five years old. If I'm sucking introvert, I didn't walk down in front. Of, didn't want to walk down in front of anybody. I was scared to death. I sure didn't want to go to hell, and I just hung on, and I hung on, and I hung on, and I made it through 27 verses as just as I am without one plea. And I walked out of that service that night, and for the first time in my life, I spent a night knowing that if I died that night, I would go to hell because I was a sinner, and I had not accepted Jesus as my Savior. I looked up to God in heaven. I said, God, if you'll get me back to church tomorrow night, I didn't know I could get saved in my bedroom. If you'll get me back to church. By the way, I think sometimes we get saved not publicly. It doesn't seem to mean too much. Amen. If you're going to get saved secretly, you're probably going to live Christian life secretly. Amen. And the next night, God called, got us back, and I sat on the back row. don't know why my parents did that. I was scared to walk from the second row. They sat on the back row. I don't know what the preacher preached. All I know this. As soon as he said, let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed, the Holy Ghost began to work on me. He said, you're going to hell for your sins if you don't accept Christ as Savior. And you said, if I got you back here tonight, you'd get saved. And he kept, uh, kept convicting me and convicting, and convicting me. And finally, I just said this. I let go of the pew, and I just said, okay, and stepped out into the aisle. And Brother Casey got saved back there. I walked down this aisle, and my Uncle Bill took me in a room over here, took me through some verses, and I prayed a prayer. But the truth of the matter is, I opened my heart to Jesus right back there when I said, okay, and turned loose. And I got saved. And you know what? Five seconds after I die, I'm going to be so glad. As a five-year-old boy, the Holy Ghost spoke to my heart. And I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart. For, for thousands and thousands and millions and trillions and zillions of years, I will walk the streets of gold. I'll hear the angels sing. I'll join them and sing that song. And I'll praise my Savior. And I'll get to see him and I get to love one and I get to see all my loved ones. I'm so glad and five seconds after you die you'll be so glad it'll be important to you what you did with Christ. I'm telling you this morning dear friend if you're here and you profess but do not possess or you have never trusted Christ as Savior and the Holy Ghost convicts you today, I beg you, dear friend, as soon as we start invitation, you run to this altar and you give your life to Jesus Christ and you trust Him as your Savior because you don't know when you're going to die, but five seconds after you die, you'll be glad that what you did with Christ. That'll be important. Number two, five seconds after you die, it'll be important what your family and your friends and your fellow man did with Christ. You notice in our passage there in Luke chapter 16, when he realized he could not get out of hell, and he realized that he was there for all eternity, he said, then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. You know what bothers me? I don't understand why we're saved and we're not concerned about our loved one's salvation. 26 years I knocked doors in Jefferson City. Meet people at the door, talk to them, find a young man or a young lady, talk to them. From the Pastor Youth Center Baptist Church, 
And I know visiting lunch comes in and says, then finally get around the gospel. You know, if you die tonight, you're sure you're going to heaven. Oh, yeah. How do you know that for sure? I got saved when I was a little boy. Well, sir, tell me something about your family. Well, I got a wife. And I said, well, how about your wife? Is she saved? Well, I don't know how many times I heard this. I don't know. We never talked about it. I don't know. We never talked about it. You know, I was backslidden. I got saved when I was five. I got into a wicked sin when I was a teenager. Uh, I dropped clear out of church. I wasn't even going to church when I was going to college. I met Julie Stiffen there at college. I met Julie Stiffen at a wrong place. I met her at a bar. She was not saved. She grew up, she grew up in a, a religion that did not teach salvation. We went out on our second day, and before we said goodnight, I said, I've got to ask you a question. If you die tonight, are you sure you're going to heaven? I'm going to tell you what, if you're saved, I don't know how something doesn't burn inside you. If you say you love somebody, how in the world is it that you're not concerned enough to tell them about Christ? This guy got into hell and he said, oh, send somebody back to my brothers. I don't want my brothers to go to hell. I had a vision one night. I don't put much stock in vision, amen. I didn't eat too much pepperoni on my pizza. But I believe God gave me this vision. It wasn't really a vision, it's a dream. We all dream, Amen. And here's what the dream was. I was, in the, I was in the choir loft of heaven, a great white throne judgment. In the choir loft of heaven, Jesus sitting seated upon the throne. And down before him were the table of the books with angels manning the books. And they were bringing in the people one by one, one by one, one by one. All of a sudden, I heard him say this name, Edward John Stiffen, my father-in-law. I saw them usher my father-in-law in, one angel on one side, one angel on the other side, brought him, stood him before the throne, stood him before the books, and the Lord Jesus Christ looked at the angel who had the book of life, and he said, see if his name's in the book of life. And the angel turned over to the S's and ran his finger down the S's and looked up at the Lord Jesus and shook his head. And the Lord Jesus said, check it again, make sure. And the angel looked down there and went through there again, and he looked up at Jesus and said, it's not there. And then I heard the Lord say, bind him, and calf, and, and bind him hand and foot and cast him into the lake of fire. And the two angels came to grab my father-in-law. And my father-in-law struggled, which I would imagine all people would do, to not go to the lake of fire. And pulled one arm loose, and he looked up into the choir loft of heaven. He looked me in my eyeballs, and he pointed his finger right at my face, and he started screaming, You knew! You knew! You knew! You knew! You knew! And you never told me! I woke up with tears running down my face. I got out of bed. I grabbed a piece of paper. I said, Dear Dad, I don't try to make you a Baptist, but I don't want you to go to hell. Dear Dad, I want to tell you what the Bible has to say about being sure you're going to hell. Some of us in here got lost spouses. And we haven't thought five, five minutes about what's going to happen to them five seconds after they die. We got aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. My wife's family is all lost. My wife was lost. They're all lost. 38 years we've been praying and witnessing and praying and witnessing, praying and witnessing, begging God. Oh, God, you could at least pray for them if you can't talk to them. One day I got a telephone call sitting in Jeff City. Answered the phone. Uncle Ted, this is Eddie. Hey, Eddie, what are you doing? I have to describe Eddie for you. Eddie wore his hair in a mohawk, had it shaved here, piercings all over, tattoos all over his body. Wild, crazy, drinking, drugging. He was a mess. He called up, can I talk to Aunt Julie? I said, sure, Eddie. I handed the phone. Julie began to start weeping. 
man on the phone to me, Eddie, tell, tell Uncle Ted what you did. Eddie said, I got saved this last week. Uncle Ted, I'm on my way to heaven. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. It'll be important to you five seconds after night. Hey, Grandma is not saved. Grandpa's not saved. How is it you're not weeping for God? We are not weeping anymore over souls. They that sow in tears shall weep and reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed. Weeping. Tears. There are no tears in our churches anymore. No tears on our altar. We don't seem to care about anything except the next meal we can get. Next recreation we get to do. Amen. That's the signs of the times. The days of Noah, the days of Lot. What's it say? Wickedness and sodomy. No. They were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. That's what Jesus said the end time signs would be. Hello, dear Christian. Why don't we just be honest? I'm most concerned about eating and drinking and marriages and giving in marriage. I'm most concerned about what are we going to do this weekend? Are we going to go to the game this weekend? Boy, let's go to the lake. Man, let's go get our four-wheelers out. The sun came out. We're going to drive. And by the way, again, I'm not against all that stuff. I'm telling you what, dear friend. It ought to break our hearts. Hey, what about your neighbor? I drove through this area coming down here. I saw all these homes, hundreds of thousands of dollars of homes, and my heart broke, God, that most of them are going to end up in hell. They're going to end up in hell. They're rich, and they're going to die and go to hell. And they got everything the world has offered, but when they die, they're going to be in hell. God, please break my heart for a lost and dying world. Five seconds after you die, it would be important what you did with Christ. Five seconds after you die, it would be important what your family, your friends. By the way, because I was a wicked carnal Christian, as a high schooler, I had no testimony. When I got my heart right with God, I got burdened for all my friends. Randy Duncan, Joe Schrock, Jim Morgan, uh, Tony Fredericks, Steve Eck, Lyndon Meadows. One day I got so burdened, I sat down and wrote a letter to every one of them. I said, I need to apologize to you. All those things we did, I was a Christian. I was on my way to heaven. I knew they were wrong. I knew better. I don't make any excuse for myself. All I ask you is don't go to hell because of my testimony. Please do not stop reading this letter and do not reject Jesus because of me. Five seconds after you die, it be important what you do with Christ. It be important what your fa- friend, your family, your fellow man did with Christ. And lastly, five seconds after you die, it will be important what you did for Christ. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Most people when they hear me preach, they think I'm against everything. I'm not against everything. I don't think anything that is moral is wicked unless it comes above God. Hello? Hello? then it is wicked because it's an idolatry. I don't think it's wrong to watch a football game. I think it's wrong to watch a football game when you're supposed to be doing something else that God wants you to do. Like church. I'm not going to say I'm going to watch Super Bowl tonight. Can you tell where the real Super Bowl is going on? In Christianity. And the real Super Bowl champions are the ones who overcome the ones who are the victors. 
The real champions are ones who get the gold, silver, precious stone at the judgment seat. You can have your Super Bowl trophy. I'll take riches from Jesus. Amen? Amen. You can have your first place in the race car division. I'll take a crown from the Savior. I didn't always live that way. I used to think football was the only thing. In fact, football was my God, and God had to take it from me. And I'll tell you how he took it from me. A senior fullback with a bleeding brain concussion in emergency surgery with his skull cut open, the blood washed out, skin put back over the open hole, a trachea in his neck, machines breathing for him. Walk in and you see this thing that has a head from here to here. And you've got this machine going, you've got these machines going, boop, 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 boop. As you're driving up there to go see him, the Lord says to you, you taught him how to block and you taught him how to tackle, but you never taught him how to go to heaven. That young man dies, he's going to end up in hell and his blood's going to drip from your hands because you thought football was more important than preaching the gospel. And your neighbor may never hear the gospel because you think it's more important for you to do all your stuff than it is to take time to go see your neighbor. And when you're talking to your neighbor instead of talking to him about the Lord and making that a priority and not pushing it down his throat, that's not what I'm talking about, but having a burden saying, God, give me an open to preach to my neighbor. We need to be concerned about souls. We need to be concerned about what we do for Christ. Luke chapter 12, and I'll be done. Verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed, beware of covetousness. I've never had anybody come and ask me to pray for them that they had the sin of covetousness. Have you, Brother Casey? Never. Did you know covetousness is a wicked sin? What is covetousness? Wanting something you don't have. Because you're supposed to be content with such things as you have. Well, we all hit the altar today. It's wanting something you don't have. Because you're supposed to be content with what you have. Covetousness. And we see this man was covetous here. Watch it. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This is what I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. Can I stop here for a moment and ask you why we need bigger houses? How many bedrooms can you sleep in at one time? How many bathrooms can you use at one time? I, I'm not trying to be mean, but I wonder how much we could do for the Lord if we put that money into Lord's work. Hello? This ain't big enough. I've got to have bigger. I haven't got enough. I've got to have more. You know, there's nothing wrong with having more as long as more is going to God. Amen, Brother Houston. Good preaching. And I'm not stupid. I'm an American. I'm not stupid. I've pastored for 26 years. I'm going to tell you the sin of the American Christian. Covetousness. Materialism. You cannot serve God and mammon. He didn't say Ashtaroth or Baal. He didn't say Allah or Buddha. You cannot serve God and mammon. Why is it we're not winning souls to Christ? Because we're too concerned about what we're getting. Take no thought what you eat or drink. These are the words, these are the words of my Savior. Don't get mad at me. That's what my Savior said. I don't like it. Well, you, then when you see Jesus face to face, tell him. Amen. You haven't got the guts to do that. But you'll get mad at the man of God for telling the truth. Well, if conviction convicts you, you know what you're supposed to do? 
get right. They ought to be at this altar when you're convicted. I'm not done. Through verse 19, And say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, marry. But God said unto him, Thou, I don't call people a fool, but God did. Thou fool. Why was he a fool? I'll show you. This night thou shalt, thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself. Watch the next statement. And is not rich toward God. Now let me ask you a question tonight. This morning. Who are you being rich toward? Who are you being rich toward? Who are you lavishing riches on? Now, I'll buy myself a new van for $40,000, but I won't give $10,000 to missions. I'll buy a new van and I'll give God the leftover. It's only got 350,000 miles and just about to fall apart, but surely the church can use it. You know, in Malachi, God said, take your lamb, your, 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 your seconds, your lamb that are lame, take them to your king and see if he'll accept them, because I won't. Are you listening? You know, some of us, we got a real funny idea about God. He does love you. He loves you so much, I can't explain that to you. He's so merciful and gracious, I can't explain it to you. But to think you can just believe, live in your way you want to, believe in anything you want to, and treat God in your way you want to, that's a really sad position to be in. You see, we need to realize who He is we're dealing with. The fear of God is the beginning of Who are you being rich toward? But when we have time, 1 Corinthians 3 says, No other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Every man uh, be careful how he buildeth thereup on wood, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hair, stubble, for every man's work shall be manifest, for the fire shall declare it, shall be tried by fire. If any man's work shall, shall, uh, shall remain, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned up, he shall suffer loss. He shall be saved, uh, shall suffer loss, but he shall be saved, yet so is by fire. Here's what the Bible says. Now, let me tell you what doesn't count in heaven. Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where the moth can corrupt, where the rust can corrupt, and where the thief breaks in. So don't give this too quickly. You know what doesn't count in heaven? Anything the moth can corrupt. I don't know what kind of suit I'm wearing. I bought this the other day. It says it's got a stain on the back, so if you notice that, you'll understand. I don't care. It's a Brandini from Famous Barb. Boy, it might be a $500 suit. But you know what this counts for in heaven? Nothing. Nothing. You got a fur coat today, lady? You know what it counts in heaven? Nothing. Well, the rust can corrupt. You just drove in here in a brand new Lexus. You know what it counts for in heaven? Nothing. And if the thief can steal it, you know what it counts in heaven? Nothing. So I lived all my life to get, 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 get. Just like this fool. Get, get, get. Bigger house, bigger car, bigger barn, bigger this, bigger that. More money, bigger retirement, bigger bigger, uh, bigger uh, stock portfolio. Bigger, 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 bigger. Then I die. And the judgment seat come, the Lord puts a match to it. And I stand and watch as it burns up. I can imagine this, Brother Casey. The person who has lived their life for themselves, and they look down and all there is is ashes. And I can see them frantically 
There's got to be something here. Something here. Surely I did something. See, it doesn't seem important right now. I'm not trying to be mean. Just the way we're bit. But five seconds after you die, you're going to wish you'd have led folks to Christ. You're going to wish you'd have had a prayer life and a Bible study life. You're going to wish you'd have been in church. You're going to wish that you had given in the offering. You're going to wish that when they had some folks that had need, you'd have noticed it and you'd have gone and took some of your hard-earned money and bought them some groceries and not told anybody about it and went and bought them some shoes for their kids and bought them some clothes. You're going to wish that you found somebody driving around without an automobile and you had a second automobile and you gave the keys to them and said, here, I want to be a blessing to you. You're going to wish that you had done, taught a Sunday school class or done something in the church five seconds after you die. What will be important? Look, folks, here's what we're masters at. We're masters at being touched by the preaching and forgetting what the preaching did to us the moment we step outside the door. This message amounts to nothing if it doesn't change your lifestyle. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Before we start the invitation, I want to ask one question, two questions. How many of you here this morning by the uplifted hand would say, without being dishonest, without lying, Preacher, I know for sure I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I've been saved and I know it. Would you raise your hand up? Hold it up as a testimony. As a testimony. Thank you. You may put your hands down. Look like almost every hand, but maybe you're here this morning and say, Preacher, you talked about dying and being ready for heaven, and I'm not ready. Preacher, I'm not ready. Would you be honest with me? Raise your hand and let us know I'm not ready. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not ready. Now, if you're not ready because you've never accepted Christ as Savior, here's what I want you to do. I want you to immediately step out of your seat and come take Brother Casey by the hand. Just step out now. Come take Brother Casey by the hand. Tell him, Brother Casey, I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to die. I'm not ready to die. Would you come? Don't miss this opportunity. How many of you here as Christians say, Brother Houston, you know, I'm not doing for the Lord what I ought to do. I know the Lord spoke to me today. Would you pray for me? Would you hold your hand up? I'm not doing what I ought to do for the Lord. All right. As soon as I pray, you need to hit the altar. You need to be honest with God. And you need to make, make, make business and do business with God this morning. Father, bless the invitation. Holy Ghost, it's yours. Do what you want to do. I pray nothing will hinder you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Heads are bowed.